The Ascent of Board Games is a podcast in which we discuss the history and evolution of board game mechanics, concepts, and themes from the dawn of history to today's newest releases. We talk, we laugh, we pick on each other, and we occasionally get things wrong. But we hope to provide both entertainment and education to today's discerning podcast listener, you. Welcome, everybody, to episode 42 of the Ascent of Board Games. I'm Brian. I'm here with Joe and Frank and Jason. Mike is a little bit under the weather today, so he's not joining us. Due to various exciting real-world reasons, we are back to recording remotely again, at least for the moment. But No, the real world doesn't exist. Stop, stop. Denial. <laughs> yes, exactly. We were everybody get in their so little good. cube. <laughs> But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about things that make us happy, which usually include board games. And this month... Does our topic contain a W? Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> Wait, what? No. Um, <laughs> we're here to talk about word games. We like words. Some of us, as you may have noticed, like talking a lot. Before we started here, I wanted to mention what kind of drove us to this particular topic. Was it Jason who suggested it? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. that was mine, because Courtney's obsessed with Wordle right now. <laughs> yeah, Wordle is taking over a lot of our social media feeds, so it seemed like know, a chance to Lord. catch on the new hotness, man. Yeah, a month late. <laughs> a couple days ago, someone was like, have you, well, Joe, are you, are you not aware of Wordle? And I was like, no, I have no idea what Wordle is. And they're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and then, since they've said that, I've been in dozens of conversations about Wordle, and I'm like, ah, I see, I understand. Yeah, Wordle, for those six people in Lithuania who haven't seen it yet, is a daily word game, which is basically a mastermind with five-letter words. You put in a word, it tells you which letters are correct and in the right place, which are correct but not in the right place, and which aren't there. And you have a total of six guesses to get to the final word. What really makes it as popular as it, I think, is there's a quick little button that will take like a visual snapshot of what you did without showing the letters so people can see how well you did and how your guesses evolved without being spoiled for the puzzle. It's a super clever piece of UI work. Mm -hmm. Of all the things it does that are technically impressive, that image is just someone clearly had some UI design. It's like, oh, I could really easily do this. Yeah. Gorgeous. And that's, that's what has made it so huge. That's just a, yeah. a chef's kiss piece of UI. Yeah, the funny thing is, like, if you didn't know what it was, you just see all these things popping up in social media with no context whatsoever. And you're like, what What are these grids? I don't understand. Well, that's what I did. I saw these things. Yeah, I'm like, so okay, someone's doing a thing. I need to find out what the <laughs> thing is. It's all the activation codes for all the sleeper agents. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Jack of Diamonds. It's interesting because obviously, as whenever you get something popular, there are a bunch of folks who are doing their own ripoffs. There's people who will do so you can do as many as you want in a day. The one I really enjoyed was one I found, which they describe as an antagonistic wordle. You put in your first guess and it groups up its possible word list according to, do I have any words in my word list? in which all of the letters you typed in are wrong. And if it does, <laughs> then you get no letters back. If there's like one letter in the wrong place, and it gives you the worst possible result, and it's narrowing down the, the list as you go. So you have to sort of force it to get a word that can be made with the letters it's already ruled out. It's brutal and rude. It's not actually that much fun to play, but it's a great concept. You don't say. <laughs> wow. What's interesting is like, does this Wordle page not have any ads on it whatsoever? I don't think so. That's crazy. Yeah, I don't think it's been monetized, really. I would imagine it's just... I haven't actually looked at this like from a technical perspective. I, I would imagine it's just a little bit of JavaScript. 
Yep, just a little bit of JavaScript. <laughs> yeah, it's not complicated. It's just real clever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, so board games are fun, and they have a long and sometimes glorious history that I think Frank, as usual, is in a position to tell us about. Somebody had Scrabble down as the earliest game, but no, these these definitely started before lithography. I mean, you're looking at 1850s, 60s before lithographic printing. That gets you tiles, board games, and the kind of things you needed to make printed board games. There were a number of parlor games which were played even before that. The earliest I found documentation of was something called Crambo, which traces back to at least the 14th century where there's documentation, and probably back to the Greeks. This is barely a game. Basically, <laughs> someone would make uh, some kind of insulting line about a local politician, ending in you know the first line of like a rhyming poem kind of thing, and then someone else would have to chime in with something that rhymes, and just keep going until someone blows it. Sounds more like a drinking game. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm reminded of the songs that we would sing on the band bus on the way to a long road trip. Yeah, totally. Replacing the <laughs> lyrics or something. At some point during the 17th century, the same name Crambo became associated with something that more resembles an actual game. And this one, basically, someone thinks of a word or a thing, and then everyone guesses what it is. But the person, you know, giving the clues... For example, if I'm thinking with a cat, someone guesses, oh, it's a bread, and they reply with, no, it's not that, with every answer having to rhyme with the original word. Uh, interesting. Yeah. And again, that's the first I could find decent documentation for. I suspect all these were basically passed around and don't show up in books until, again, late 1800s when people started writing books about this kind of stuff. As far as the first kind of real published definite, oh, this is a game, would be anagrams. Around 1890, we saw the first game called anagrams. But really, an early version of this included word-making and word-taking, which was a set of letter tiles printed on cardstock, cardboard, and then came with a number of games, including especially anagrams. Basically, what would happen is you'd have a bunch of tiles in the face down in the middle of a table and turn up tiles. When someone saw a word of three or more letters, they called it out, took the letters, and get points for it. And it had a specialized distribution similar to Scrabble. And Anagrams is practically still in print today, I bet. In some Do you uh, get more points if your word is longer? Yeah. I think you just get points for how long the word the is. The number of tiles, yeah. Yeah. So is there like a pressure luck kind of thing where it's like everybody sees the three-letter word, but you're like, ah, oh, maybe I should wait for more points? Or no, no, or you better no, off just taking no. It? You're better off just taking the cheap word. Okay. Because someone else will take it and the tiles will go away. Right. There are more sophisticated versions, like there's Pick 2, where tiles come up and you have to build them onto your own little private crossword. But Anagrams is really the start of a whole bunch of games. This sounds like the vague, primitive ancestor of Boggle, and you can also sort of see the early origins of Scrabble there with the kind of crossword grid thing. And the tiles. Yeah, and the unusual tile distribution representing your letter frequency. There were several other games in this set from 1877, designed by Charles Hammett, published by De La Rue and Company in London, and included the uh, Rules for Hangman, which was a classic game from probably the Victorian era, how to play that game with these letter tiles. 
So it's a little like buying a peace pack where you just get a bunch of letters and then here's a bunch of rules. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Hangman actually did get a full published version in the 60s with kind of battleship grids. And most importantly, a TV commercial with Vincent Price. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to find that. (laughs) Well, that's going in the show notes. Oh yeah, that should totally go in the show notes because it's a great, great commercial. I'm really kind of expecting at some point somebody to do a Hangman Limited Collector's Edition with like an actual little hanging mannequin with magnetic connectors. (laughs) Well, time for a Kickstarter. (laughs) Exactly. One of the reasons this list originally existed is Scrabble, released in 1948, designed by Alfred Mosher Butts and published by James Bruno or anyone published by a hundred million people functionally as far as we can tell i always associated with it what was it cell show and writer well so from what i was looking up like that's the first guy who's like hey there's a game here i'll help you make this and later they mm-hmm. were printing out like 12 of these an hour or something in this yeah. guy's house huh. so it seems like another one that started as a pretty simple concept and so for those of you who don't conceptually know what scrabble is each player personally has a set of letter tiles and you're trying to play those letter tiles onto a shared grid and you play these letter tires orthogonally. And there are spaces on the board that give multipliers, and the pieces themselves have various values depending on how hard they are to place. And so you're trying to find a place where you can connect your word to this greater word structure, for lack of a better term, to earn as many points as possible with your placement. Points on the each of the individual tiles that you place, so the more you place, more points you get. There are spots on the board that double or triple the word score, and so if you can put a Q, for example, which is worth a lot of points, into a triple word score, you can get potentially get a lot of points from a specific placement, even if the placement in total isn't super great. And that's Scrabble. Yeah, I mean, Scrabble's fascinating because it's one of the quote-unquote modern games that has really become a cultural icon. I mean, you have Scrabble jokes on The Simpsons. Quizzibo. K-W-Y-J-I-B-O. Even people who don't consider themselves gamers in any way will know what Scrabble is and how to play. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, Hasbro claims that three out of every five American homes have Scrabble, which sounds probably pretty accurate. I, I would buy my that. I would, I would buy that, yeah. I mean, Jason, you guys cover 10 oh or 20 God. houses yourself, <sighs> right? So... <laughs> Yeah, maybe one of them's complete out of the like the ten mm-hmm. copies Courtney has. Yeah. I think Dan has about two hundred Scrabbles. If you need oh, any more. Did he just buy a truck full of Scrabble <laughs> games one day? The competitive scene for Scrabble is absolutely terrifying. We're talking mm-hmm. possibly more nerve wracking than chess level. There's a book called Word Freaks, mm-hmm. which is about, you know, journalists going into that competitive scene. And this goes from like street hustlers in New York in Central Park <laughs> to Seriously, oh, yeah. To seriously competitive tournaments. I have seen chess hustlers. I get that. Scrabble hustlers is not something that would occur to me. There are Scrabble hustlers. Oh, they're just the people that memorize all the BS two letter words. Oh, no, no. That's required. Well, no, no. The hustlers are the guys who have like an extra V and a J in their sleeve (laughs) that they whip out at an inappropriate moment. Yeah. And know the four and five letter word lists. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to yeah, even play Scrabble, you have to know the two-letter word list. That's just a given. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking at the tournament scene here. So the North American Scrabble Players Association has a championship. And let's see, 500 players compete in 31 rounds of one-on-one play over a five-day period. Oh, my God, just kill me. I would <laughs> rather be dead. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. <laughs> it's everywhere. It is a cultural icon. 
Yeah, functionally everyone knows Scrabble. It's in uh, like every freaking language. It's it's all over the place. See, now I'm really interested because obviously I know almost nothing about Asian languages. I'm just wondering if there could even be a Scrabble. There like are that. Scrabble in especially Cyrillic, definitely. Uh-huh. There are weirder games played with especially kanji tiles. I was going to say, how would you even do it in Japanese? Like, that would be... <laughs> in kanji, in kanji, which is simpler. But yeah, in proper Japanese or Chinese, man, that would be brutal. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure the structure of those languages open them up to all kinds of other word games that we don't know anything about. So if we have any listeners who have Japanese or Chinese or another non-Western alphabet-based, I'd love to hear about some of the unique word games. Don't tell Courtney he'll want it. (laughs) Good point. Ooh, here's one in Arabic. Yeah, the Arabic one is really nice. Oh, yeah. There's also been a bunch of Scrabble versions. I've got two. One's called RPM, where the board rotates and you can only play on your quarter. (laughs) Hmm. Which is bizarre, because the the entire thing's constantly rotating. And there's one that uses cubes on a two-sided grid, like a vertical board, which is equally as demented. Yeah. I think I've got a couple of these. And yeah, Of course you do. Of course I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Scrabble, I think, is also the first game I remember where you could get a deluxe edition. So I remember oh, growing point. up, at one yeah. point, we got the one that had yeah. like the little plastic grid that the tiles were inset on the rotating table. It was just, oh, that was living. <laughs> It's very similar to chess in that way, right? Like, it has a very similar following, Mm. I guess. When I think about, like, a deluxe edition with, like, highly overproduced components, the thing I think of first is right? And it feels like that's just, like, along a very similar line. Our next game is Password, crawling out of Milton Bradley in around 1962. No designer credited because this is Milton Bradley in 1962. This is based on the iconic Alan Ludden hosted TV game show, which, well, all of us know, um, being old. Not all of us know. All of us. But you don't know it? Just you really, and I know it. All right, I'm not or, sure or, or, about Joe and Jason. I know a password. I, I, I know password. I grew up in the 80s and watching TV. <laughs> so basically there is a password. The word is announced by the announcer on this. And basically, you take turns trying to provide one word clues to get your partner, it's played in teams of two, to guess the word. And if you're wrong, the points go down, the other team gets to add another one word clue and one guess. It's one clue, one guess, points goes down until somebody gets it. Password is generally interesting because when you play it, it's fairly open to to basically certain conventions. Like going up at the end of a word kind of means it's the opposite. Yeah, it never occurred to me, but yeah, that that probably did. Yeah, as well as allowing singing, I actually got country to someone by going, the... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fascinating. But yeah, it was a very successful and long-running TV show, and obviously it is is, uh, lived on in the board game legacy. Password, the game itself, I don't know, is probably still in print somewhere. Maybe. Uh, Yeah, I've got like something that's marked edition 14, where they change out the words and just keep going. Mm -hmm. It's also set up a lot of later word games that we'll talk about, the sort of thing where one person knows a word and has to communicate it with the other people on their team without saying the word. Yeah, you will see that coming up quite a bit. The first word game other than Scrabble that I remember playing this was sort of my first grown-up board game, I think, was called Facts in Five. It came out in 1964, designed by Richard Onanian. 
published by Advanced Ideas Company. This is, uh, I have a note here that describes it as a spiritual ancestor of categories, and it sort of is. Basically, each player got a 5 by 5 grid, and there would be five different what they call classes and categories cards drawn. So you might have a card for a composer, and you could, you know, filter down something more specific. Are they male? Are they female? Are they living? Are they dead? Are they classical? Are they jazz? Etc. And you'd have five different categories like that. So, you know, a, a composer, a fictional character, a type of wild animal, etc. And then you would draw five letter tiles. And you had to try to come up with an example of each category that started with each letter. And then, you know, once everybody was done or the timer ran out, you would go ahead and compare answers. And I think, but I'm not entirely certain, that duplicate answers canceled each other out. So if two people both said cat for an animal that starts with C, neither of them would score. I think so, yeah. I believe that's correct. You would get more points for any given letter. If you got all five categories with that letter, you'd get 25 points. If you got only four, you get 16. It's like the, the square of your successful answers. It was a fun game where you, which you benefited from having a big vocabulary, which I kind of always had, and I would still play it today, damn it. Oh, totally. I've got my Avalon Hill version, which is probably the version that most people encountered if they did. Yeah, it was the old bookcase games. Yep, totally. Yeah, that was a great series of games back in the day. It was one of the only series of games back in the day. but Back in the dark times. Yes, before the internets. Oh, 3M. Yeah, 3M did it as well, so we're talking 3M mm-hmm. bookcase games too. Mm-hmm. Well, let's jump decades. Let's go to the 70s here, specifically 1972, when Parker Brothers came out with Boggle, designed by Bill Cook and Alan Turoff. Essentially, Boggle is a 4x4 grid of dice that all have different letters on them. You put them into an arrangement, you hit a timer that, a sand timer that supposedly lasts three minutes. Sand timers are not great at keeping time, (laughs) but three minutes, everyone writes down as many connected words as they can find in that grid of letters. At the end of the three minutes, everyone compares the words that they came up with that they found in that grid, and any duplicates are crossed off and nobody gets any points for those. Anything that's left, you get points based on how many letters are in that word. So it's really, you're looking for the, ideally, you're trying to find the ones that aren't the most obvious, and that's really all there is to it. It's a pretty simple game. I think I played this as a kid maybe once, but if you like those word search sort of puzzles, this is that gamified essentially. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, we were, of course, more hardcore word people in my house, so we progressed to Big Boggle. Five by five, Five by five grid. (laughs) And then it gets complicated. (laughs) But yeah, that's another example, like a lot of these, of a simple idea, well executed. The structure of that whole little grid and the little sort of shaker bit on top and the way the letters all distributed out, it's just really well put together. Yeah, I imagine this is another one that probably has a lot of foreign language editions. Let me check here real quick. It's got a, yeah, Polish edition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah, anything using like a Western style alphabet would probably work pretty well with it. Yeah, there's 67 editions, versions listed in in Board Game Geek. So lots and lots, (laughs) lots of them published. But yeah, very simple game. It's not a huge time commitment either, so yeah. <laughs> you could probably get people to sit down for three minutes. Yeah, but uh, like Scrabble, I think Boggle is one of the ones that almost everybody knows. I don't think we ever owned it when we were growing up. We certainly had Scrabble, and we had a couple other weird games, and of course the ubiquitous Trivial Pursuit. Mm-hmm. I don't think we ever had a copy of Boggle. I think I played it at a friend's house. Well, could... We had it, totally. 
So now as we move into the 70s, we're getting a little bit more, I don't want to say obscure, but these are certainly a lot of these are games that people don't know as much. Word games for a large part are party games in a lot of ways. I mean, Scrabble is not for a very big party, but things like Faxon 5 or Boggle, you could play with a fairly large group. The next one I wanted to discuss is a little-known game from 1973 called Montage, designed by Jolie Quentin Cancel and originally published by The Gamut of Games. A little bit about him. He's Mm -hmm. actually a fairly moderately known world traveler. Xanadu Leisure, which was his company, was based in Hawaii. And he published a ton of games which are highly regarded but really not very well known. Under that Xanadu Leisure, I've got a lot of them. And yeah, like uh, Bridget, I think was his, which is like a two player bridge game, which was very popular in the 70s. Marrakesh, which is a weird merger of cribbage and backgammon. But yeah, he's got a lot of very unusual games and surprisingly deep games. They're not party games. So this one is basically sort of a crosswordy style game. There's basically a grid of spaces on the board. It's a partnership game. So basically, you think of a word and you sort of spell it out on this crossword style grid, except you're not using the letters. There's like a series of little colored discs and a red one might mean it is A, B, C, D, or Z. It's always like a vowel and four or five consonants. And basically, you spell that out and you give a clue and hopefully your partner guesses the word before your opponents do. Yeah, your partner gets it before the opponents do, correct? Right, 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 right. I remember I picked this up because it was re-released a while back. I was a big fan of a similar game he did later on called Knock on Word, which is an impossible to find thing that Frank introduced me to. Rather than putting down the disc, you're just sort of basically filling out a crossword grid and giving your partner clues, which the other team can steal. I got Montage because it sounded very similar to that and tried it with our little group, and it did not go over well. Montage is really hard. Knock on words is more approachable, uh, and I think easier to play for that. But yeah, Montage is seriously hardcore difficult to think of words, to look at those pattern of tiles and go, what? Huh? Huh? <laughs> Yeah, it's not very intuitive to play. Yeah. I wish Montage was a little more approachable, but Knock on Word is great. And then I get to keep talking. Hooray. (laughs) The next one I wanted to mention is Runes, which came out in 1981, designed by Bill Eberly, Jack Kittredge, and Peter Alotka. And if those names sound familiar, it's because those are also the guys behind Dune and Cosmic Encounter. And a number of other classics from the period. And Darkover. <laughs> oh, and Darkover, which no one remembers, but it was a pretty cool game. Runes is weird. Basically, you are trying to decipher a hidden word, and you're actually not just trying to figure out, well, you know, is there a Z in it? Is there a K in it? You're actually putting down these little segments of letters. So you might have like a semicircle at the bottom, where that could be part of a J or an O, or there's a line on the left, and that could be part of an E, or an F, or an H, or a K. And bit by bit, you're putting down, well, is is this line in the letter in this space in the word? Once you have figured out what your opponent's word, you can guess it and get points. It's the first word game I know of that treats the individual letters not as just complete units in and of themselves, but themselves pieces multi-part piece. I'm not articulating this very well. Yeah, it's also it's ultimately hangman with letter pieces. Yeah. 
Yeah. Except that also it's played by four people at a t- or you know up to four people at a time. Mm-hmm. Everyone has their own word and you just guess anyone's word. Yeah, it's weird to play. It strikes me that this is actually the kind of game that might work well in an Asian alphabet. Oh, sure. Yeah, just like, you know, is there this horizontal stroke in the middle? Well, sure. And then go from there. It's just a a weird little game that I think is... It's hard. It is hard. God, so hard. Yeah. There are two more modern versions. There's a version Mm -hmm. called Decipher, which is pretty much runes. There's also a game called Wordsmith, which plays a little bit like Anagrams where you kind of put out the random letter bits from runes, and then everyone grabs them to assemble them into words. So mm-hmm. instead of just identifying three-letter words, you have to identify just a pile of bits. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you got to be a hardcore word person for this one, but it's fun. And then the last one I wanted to mention before shutting up for at least a little while is Balderdash. This game was boxed in 1984 by the Games Gang Limited, designed by Laura Robinson and Paul Toyne. And this is basically a boxed version of the game called Dictionary, which has been available for anyone who has a dictionary for a very long time. Basically, one player finds an obscure word in the dictionary and writes down the definition, says the word to all the other players, each of them makes up a definition for it. And then he reads out all the definitions and people try and guess which one is the correct one. This game is a family favorite with my family. There was a boxed version of it that came out at some point in probably the 80s called Slang Teasers, which is a terrible name for the game, but basically had just a whole booklet full of obscure and weird words. We would play that for hours. Obviously, part of the battle is knowing bits of what word fragments mean and trying to come up with a plausible definition that way. But also being able to write like a dictionary is often helpful. Balderdash is just a nicely put together and packaged version of that. Yeah, we quickly jumped beyond Balderdash, which mixes things up a bit. You get also like movies. So you get a movie title that's a real movie, of course. And you have to make mm-hmm. up the plot. Dates, <laughs> where you have to say what happened on that date. People say what they did, that kind of thing. So it kept to the same model, but you kind of mixed it up a bit. And that made it a little more fun and also helped deal with the writing style, the very structured dictionary thing going. Yeah, no, I could see that. Yeah, totally. There's also an excellent game called Fivage, which is part of the Jackbox games. They've done three iterations for playing online. If you haven't played the Jackbox games, they're just wonderful party games that you play on your phone with a laptop or console running the game. Fivage is very similar, where you're given something and you have to fill out a line describing it, or, you know, fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. But you're definitely having to lie about what the blank is. Right. Yeah, Fivage works pretty well. Yeah, yeah the Jackbox games in general are, are super well put together mm-hmm. and a lot of fun. For people who have to socialize over the internet because they can't leave their house. Not that I'm I'm bitter or sad. <laughs> so let's move on to uh, another game, Taboo. Don't say it. No. Said it already. 1989, designed by Brian Hirsch, published by Milton Bradley. You work in teams, and on your turn, there's a large stack of cards, and there'll be a central word you're trying to get your teammate to, and it's followed by five words that you can't use. For example, maybe your word is bacon, and you can't use the words pig, or eat, or breakfast, or sausage, or eggs. Ugh. And so you have to say something similar to the Slice? Words. Rasher. Right. Yeah, rasher. Rasher's not bad. And so, much like many of these games are having a large vocabulary, it's going to be very helpful to help someone get to your primary word without using any of the secondary words. If you play this in teams, 
going back and forth. There's always one person who's on the spot, and it's always lots of fun to be that person. Yeah, and this, again, kind of goes back to password in a lot of ways, the saying the right things that will get your partner to, to the right word without breaking the rules. Yeah, the big thing on Taboo is it allows you to go through several words. Basically, you can go through as many cards as you can yep. during the length of the time. So you're really encouraged to go really fast, which more encourages you to screw up. <laughs> which, which is, is hilarious. The, yeah, totally. And so it's that time pressure thing that, ah, it's brilliant. Yeah. Now, I don't know. I think in the original Password, there were also rules like you couldn't gesture. It's like you had to just use words. Oh, wow, okay. I don't know if it applies in this. I think in Taboo, things like gestures and miming and stuff are allowed. Oh, okay. This also kind of ties in with Catchphrase, which is a similar one that came out a few years later, 1994, from Craig Clark, Williamson, and Parker Brothers. Yeah. So Catchphrase is more like a hot potato version of this. Mm -hmm. Basically, you have, a, especially in the electronic version, which came later, which is the version to get. The best version, yeah. Yeah, totally. You have a word, and you basically have to do whatever you can to get someone else in the group to say the word, and then you pass the uh, thing with a timer that's ready to count down and go so that you uh, basically lose. Oh, it's the best feeling in the world when you just hand that to someone and it immediately buzzes. You're like, ah, yes, there you go. Enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those games where you have to make sure you pick your teams carefully because if you get like a couple <laughs> and you're mm -hmm. on the same team, like that thing that we did that night on you know December, and it's like they have all this secret knowledge right, that's exactly. shared between them that they can use. And you're like, what the hell are they talking about? And they get it immediately. You're like, well, damn. <laughs> yeah. I don't know the name of it offhand, but I know there's an appified version that a lot of people are playing, well, some people are playing on their phones, where you basically, a word flashes up on your screen, you basically put your phone on your forehead so the other people can see it and you can't, and they're all shouting things at you to try and guess the word. Wow, okay. Yeah, it's cute. Mm -hmm. I did want to mention a game called Quiddler, which came out in 1998, a designer with the great name of Marsh J. Falco, published by Amigo. And this is, I think, the first card-based word game that we've talked about. Basically, you have a, a bunch of letter cards in your hand. Everybody starts with three cards. You get more cards in each successive round. Basically, you draw the top card from the deck. You discard a card. When you can use your entire hand of cards to spell words, then you play all your words on the table and go out. Everybody else takes a turn and plays as many cards as they can. And basically, you score points on your letter tiles, just kind of like you would in Scrabble. So it's basically you're trying to get a set in your hand that can combine into a word or more likely several words. It's another one that's pretty simple. It never really had the popularity or sticking power of something like Scrabble or Boggle. But again, it's the first card-based one, and it's got some ideas that we'll see uh, reoccurring later. But Frank, what happens if you get a real serious game designer to do a word game? Oh, yeah. A real serious game designer would be Sid Saxon, uh -huh. who um, posthumously had Byword published by Eagle Griffin Games in 2004. Although he designed the game, a lot of Sid's notes included unpublished games and things. And Byword was one of those. Basically, it's a fairly simple game and kind of tricky. You basically have a bunch of letter tiles with points on them, one to three points, I think, for all the letter tiles. And everyone's handed at the start of a round a number of tiles. And on those tiles, you're allowed to spend your paper currency to buy some of those tiles, to add them to your collection of tiles. Some you can keep for later rounds, some you can keep and try to sell immediately. So you end up paying for letters based on the 
price of the letters and you sell words based on how many letters you have left at the end of the round as well as the length of your word. So you're doing this weird stock market thing where you're almost, you know, investing in letters to sell them for current words and future words. And you want as many letters as you can because you can eventually sell those for profit. Sometimes you don't actually get a profit. Hmm. And it's quite tricky. It's easy to take a bunch of E's, vowels, and high-frequency letters and make words. But you get points when you include the F, Q, X's, and the painful, which you're also paying a lot for. Right. And investing a lot for. That's fascinating. It's like Scrabble with an economy. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And the amount of money handling and how much cash you have on hand is tiny. You don't have enough. You absolutely don't have enough money ever. And you're encouraged to invest more and more. making that risk more and more. It's a really good game. You see, now I have this horrible concept that somebody's going to remake this with the words as NFTs. (laughs) God, no. But yeah, (laughs) yeah, totally. All right, cool. Oh, wow. And I'm doing the next one, which is paperback and hardback. This is uh, 2014 for paperback by Tim Powers. I know hardback from 2018. And this is a (laughs) deck builder. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And as you know, we love our deck builders here. And this one, your cards are letters, and you're having to make words out of them to actually get points to do things. And uh, that's it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, pa- paperback <laughs> is pretty similar. It's similar in some ways to what you were talking about with byword. Yeah. In the sense that you're basically you have a deck of letter cards and wild cards, and you're forming words with each hand, and basically. However many points you score out of those words, you can use to buy additional letter cards to put into your deck. And some letters have... Victory points associated with them, yeah. Victory points or double letter score or draw three cards when you do this. You can buy wild cards, which will give you victory points. Yeah, it's literally just a word builder that is also a deck builder. Yeah, and when you look at it, you think that can't work. But no, it does work surprisingly well. There's an excellent online implementation of hardback on Board Game Arena, which is a surprise because usually they don't go for deck builders much. That's a fun pair of games. I think of the two, hardback is better. It's a little bit more polished, gives you more options. It's got categories of letters and encourages you to collect things from the same category because you get perks and bonuses for being in the same category. Like if you correct the horror letters and include two or more horror letters, each of those gives you a special extra bonus. That's the big change in hardback. But it ends up being a little deeper for that. Yeah. Let's talk about a game that I can't imagine anyone listening to a board game podcast has not heard of or played. 2015's Codenames from Vlad Shavatil. From Czech Games Edition. Essentially, you're playing two different teams. You've got your red team, you've got your blue team. And you have a spy master who's going to be giving clues to this team. And that clue can only be a single word and a number. And so you'll say, you know, we've got a grid of 25 cards, a 5 by 5 grid. It's just a whole bunch of random words. It'll be like truck, elephant, cannon, Finland, things like that. And you're trying to get your team to guess the correct words that correspond to the colors of your team. Basically, the spy masters have their own little tiny map of that grid showing here's all the blue spots, here's all the red spots, and then here's the black spot that if your team guesses at, you automatically lose. So the trick of the game is trying to be able to give a single word clue that applies to multiple of the words that are your team's color. And it's real brain burnery sometimes, depending on how random those words might be. What was it? I played this recently with Courtney and some other people. And some of the words I had were like fencing, pirates, 
and swashbuckler or something mm-hmm. like that, swashbuckling. And my clue was like um, saber, right? Right. Because there's saber fencing. Mm-hmm. Pirates can use sabers, and swashbucklers, you know, have sabers. And that completely just went right over my team's head. And they, I think they guessed the opposite team's colors. Uh. That's much good. <laughs> it's interesting how often. Oh, that's another word on the other team's thing that relates to that thing in a way I totally didn't think of. Oh man, you watching know? the mental gymnastics your team goes through. To pick the wrong words is incredible. You're like, how did you get to that from that clue I gave you? Like, you watch them just justifying it to themselves. The first thing is almost always the right thing. They'll be like, okay, oh, well, it's, it's clearly it's clearly fencing, but I don't know sabers. There's a there's an F-86 jet fighter that was called the saber. So let's it's probably a jet fighter, and there's no jet fighters on this grid. So maybe it's airplane and. Airplanes have pilots, so it's probably airplane and pilot. And it's like, God damn it! Just gotta keep stretching. Why are you get there? <laughs> yep. And invariably, one of those words is the dreaded black spy word. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's how I lost that game. God, what was it? It was something I couldn't believe they got to. It was like, all right, I, I don't even know what we're doing. Because, yes, yeah, if your team ever picks the black spy word, you lose instantly. So it's like having a Stratego bomb in the middle of the board. Yeah, yeah, and it's, oh, it's to the grand delight of the opposing team. They, <laughs> they absolutely eat that up. But it is a good, well-designed, easy game. I'm just sick to death of it because I've played it so many times because it was one of the things that just kind of lit the world on fire. Mm-hmm. I looked this up. The most recent stat I could find is that there were 5 million copies of this sold since 2015. And it's probably higher than that now. Yeah, which this is, is insane. This is like the first thing that has really challenged the Scrabble Boggle amount of worldwide impressions. It's just been a huge and also success. themed versions, sure, oh, and yeah. Codenames Kids again. Thanks, Simpsons like Scrabble, eighty-seven different out. versions. Yeah, yeah. It looks like it's been translated into thirty-eight languages according to Wikipedia, which is just crazy. And of course, they've even got ones where it's just like we don't even have to have words. It's just going to be pictures. Mm-hmm. So it's just like. I mean, it's it's a concept that they can essentially infinitely expand. And I didn't even realize this. They've got one called Deep Undercover that's the adult version. I'm like, oh, my God, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> guys really, it was a Target exclusive. I'm like, really? Target wanted the exclusive rights to the naughty version? Damn right they did. Okay, Target. <laughs> yeah, put it on the back shelf in a plain brown wrapper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's locked up. You have to get an associate to get it for you. Target's down to have some fun. <laughs> I think I've got one. <laughs> all right, Frank. Just have to get that out there. Frank, all I'm saying is we've got a Valentine's Day episode coming up. Oh my god! <laughs> oh man. Oof. We'll we'll bring our respective partners in. I'll have a group. Yeah, we'll all learn something. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, far far too much. That's going to be a paywalled Patreon episode right there. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> So in the same year, this is another attempt by me to find a board game that me and Courtney will enjoy playing together, a game called Letter Tycoon from Brad Brooks and uh, from a company that has a great name, Squirmy Beast. Ooh. The idea here, and this might sound somewhat familiar since we just talked about Byword, but the idea here is you have a hand of seven cards, those seven cards have letters on them, and there's a, a group of communal letters that are also available. And you're trying to build out the longest word you can on your turn. The longer the word, the more money you earn for it. And if it's long enough, you might even earn what they call stock, which is basically just victory points for the game. So, for example, if you have a three-letter word, you can earn a dollar. 
you get no stock. If it's a seven-letter word, you get $6 and you gain one stock. So stock's pretty hard to come by. Mm. But what makes this game interesting is that as you spell out your words, so you spelled out, let's say, the word jewel, right? Any of those letters are now available for you to purchase the patent on. And depending on the letter, how frequently it's something that shows up in English language, it might cost more than others, right? So the letter J might cost $2, but the letter E might cost $10. And the reason you're buying these patents is that from that point forward, anytime any other player uses that letter in their word, you get a payout from the bank. So you're earning cash off these letter patents that you have. So you're incentivized to try and get the really valuable ones like your E's or you know your A's, N's, M's, things like that, that are going to show up a lot in different words. And to kind of add an, an additional wrinkle to it, the letters that nobody ever wants to spell words with, so like your J's or your Q's or your X's, they don't cost a lot to acquire. However, they have special powers. So for example, if you bought the patent to X, X allows you the special ability of using one letter twice. So you don't have to have both letters to spell that word, like that has a double L, for example. Ah, okay. You just need the one L, and you'll use your X's special power to be able to use that. And then you don't have to have the X in the, in the word, of course. So huh. obviously there's only one patent per letter, so there's some strategy in trying to spell out a word that has a letter that you know will be highly contested during the course of the game. So it's like, if you can snap up that E early on, it's going to pay out over and over and over again because people really don't have a choice but to use words that have E's at some point. Right, right. There's a Mensa edition of this. They seem to be real high on this. And the art design on it's really kind of simplistic, but really clear. So like the different letters have different color coding to let you know that they're vowels or they've got the special abilities or they're just plain old consonants. Plays pretty simply. Played over a couple rounds. I think the game ends when you have a certain dollar amount of patents that a single player has. So like for four players, it's something like 26 combined dollars of patents on one player. Once that end condition triggers, you just total up all the money that that person has and add all the stock that they have. Whoever has the most wins the game. Interesting. It does sound kind of like it's a byword with a little more American intellectual property law <laughs> stapled yeah, on top yeah. of it. Yeah, totally. It actually does sound kind of different, but it's definitely the same kind of ish. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, the idea of putting totally. an economy behind it. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, Courtney stomped me in the ground on this one because, like, he bought the patent to V and I was making fun of him. I'm like, you're never going to use this because it lets you create, you can make two words out of the cards that you have. I'm like, that's never going to trigger. He triggered that freaking thing every round from that point forward. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so yeah, I did not do well on that one. <laughs> but it was fun. Like I said, simple to learn. It plays pretty quickly. No, oh, sounds like fun. Yeah, I need to play games with you and Courtney. Sandy can't spell, so she hates these. <laughs> me and Sandy uh, okay. can just commiserate about our hatred of word word games. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll get Frank and Courtney can play a game. Yeah, and, yeah. Better point. Yeah, <laughs> true. Nice. Sandy and I will play Barbara Cartland while you guys are playing. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you could do better. <laughs> Can I? Are you sure? <laughs> I mean, maybe not. You enjoy it. <laughs> Another relatively recent success I wanted to talk about was Decrypto, which came out in 2018, designed by Thomas Dagenet L'Esperance, I think, and produced by ILO. I sort of summarize this one as password meets code names. It's a team game where you have basically four words that you and your team can see, but your opponents can't. 
you as the clue giver get a little card that basically has three numbers from one to four. So you have four words in front of you and your card says one, three, two. You're trying to say words that will get your teammates to pick those three words in that order. So if the first word is black, you might say dark. And the third word is cocktail. And you might say drink. You have one word for each and you're trying to get your teammates to identify the words in this order. If someone says drink and one of the words is cocktail, you'll kind of know that that's probably the one. And you're trying to get, like I said, your team to pick those three things in order. Your opponents are going to be doing this with their own word, but they're also writing down the clues you give for yours. Because in the second round, you get another card that says, all right, here's three numbers. You have to get your things to pick in this order. Again, you give a set of three clues. But if your teammates don't get it, your opponents have a chance to steal. And they've heard a couple clues on each of these words now. So they can start putting together what those missing words might be. As you progress, your opponents get more information about what your words are and can try and guess it without having seen it. It's a pretty simple game that's way overproduced. It has a very sort of late 80s computer system vibe. All the cards look like three and a half inch floppy disks, which for young people is how data was transferred from place to place. I think there's some punch card thing going on too, yeah. It it might be, yeah. And like there's a little mascot figure which looks like an original Mac. But, you know, it's a neat game. Again, it's a matter of coming up with clever clues that will work for your team without giving too much away to your opponents. It's very pretty, very well put together. Yeah, I remember when this first came out, people were kind of touting it as like the replacement for code names. And it, it was popular for a while, but I haven't really heard much since. Yeah, it hasn't had as much staying power. Yeah. The last in my sequence of games trying to find a word game that I can tolerate is Spell Smashers from 2018 by Renegade Game Studios, developed by Christopher Chung. You know what word games are missing? Murdering things. Let's <laughs> add that into the game. While you're still forming words, now you can kill things and collect them as trophies. So the idea here is you're building out spells out of your letters. The spells are the words. That you sp- spells because you're spelling now words. Now you get it. Yeah, see? <laughs> So your adventurers that are going out to to combat monsters, and the way you combat them is by spelling out words from your hand. And the longer the word you can build, first of all, the more damage you're going to do, but it also determines the initiative, because everyone's going to be building these at the same time. So four-player game, everyone's got their hand of cards, they're trying to make the longest word possible. You've got an array of, I think it's like three monsters in front of you that have a certain amount of health, and they might have special modifiers that say, This monster takes less damage, this monster takes more damage from fire spells, or this monster has more health, things like that. Once everyone's finished, you flip those cards up, you announce what your word is and how many letters it is, and then you resolve them in order of longest word goes first. So whoever has the most powerful spell, they get to deal their damage before anybody else does. And dealing damage gives you kind of two different benefits. One is you'll be collecting gold for the amount of damage that you deal, so if you deal let's say nine damage, you get nine gold that you can use for purchasing things like potions or equipment and gear that makes it easier for you to avoid damage or maybe do extra damage to the monster. And if you happen to do enough damage to kill a monster, now you take that monster as a trophy. And each of the monsters is associated with the letter. And you basically now have a permanent, let's say, W, because you killed a white. You have a permanent W for the rest of the game that you can always use in addition to any of the cards in your hand. So there's an interesting balance of, okay, well, I can do 10 damage, but that's not enough to kill this really useful letter, right? Maybe I want to get an an A or something like that, but it would give me all of that gold. 
what do I want to do? Do I want to really damage this monster and make it very vulnerable to the next person so they can just get it for nothing? Or do I want to maximize my Mm -hmm. accumulation of wealth so I can buy better gear so the next round I can do better? So there's lots of back and forth decisions. If you play like me, where you're really bad at it, you just keep handing easy victories to everyone that goes after you and uh, hope for the best when it comes to drawing up your gear. But there's also a balancing mechanism where the monsters themselves, even if you manage to kill it, is still going to deal you harm. And this comes in the form of wound cards. And the wound cards go in your hand, just like the rest of your letter cards, but they're a grouping of letters now that are more difficult to use. So like it might be EST or ING or something like that. So instead of just being a single letter, now it's a series of letters that reduces your options for future turns. Everyone goes back and forth attacking monsters, getting gold, maybe accumulating these trophies. In between those, you have rounds where you go to town, where you can heal up, first of all. (laughs) You can go try and get your wounds removed from your deck. You can buy better gear, like uh, I think you can have a single piece of armor and a single weapon. You can buy potions that will give you more flexibility, right? It might allow you to change a single letter into a different letter, or it might let you change the elemental type of a single card to another type. I think you do this for seven total rounds. So it's basically you're trying to accumulate as much victory points as you can during the course of that. It's a cute game. I think it's actually pretty well done. It's a kind of a different take on a lot of word games. You'll see some commonalities, right? You're essentially getting access to these words that you're buying by killing these monsters. But there is some modification with the gear and the uh, potions that you can buy that let you have a little more flexibility than just whatever stuck in your hand at the time. And I think a couple of you have already played this, right? Yeah, I remember we played it with Mike. I don't know if you were in that first game I played. I want to say it was back at the Oasis of Fun. Yeah, probably. And none of us had any real high expectations for it. We just kind of wanted a quick filler game. But it was surprisingly fun. I really enjoyed the way it was put together. I thought it was a real clever combination of genres. Yeah, the only thing I can think to say about it is uh, one point for Jason. (laughs) Oh, man, I didn't think I'd get it on the word game. Jeez. Uh I mean, I agree. The thing that's missing from word games is more magic, for sure. Speaking of, let's add some more magic to the word game. Ooh, nice segue. With Medium, developed by Daniel DeLay, uh, Lindsay Sherwood, and Nathan Thornton, published by Greater Than Games. And in Medium, every round of power partners will be selected from the player set. And you will both draw a card. For example, I might draw Astronaut and Brian might draw cheese. And then we will both reveal our cards to each other, and then there's a countdown of three seconds, and then we will both say the word that we have psychically linked together that relates to these two. So, for example, for Astronaut and Cheese, clearly it's the moon. moon. Yeah, obviously. Yes. Right, <laughs> obviously. And that's the game. It plays very quickly. You get points for how quickly you make a match. If you don't make a match... You take the two new words you said, and you match them again. Oh, wow. And you get three shots. Hopefully narrowing, getting less points, and you have three total shots to get to a matched word. The game is super cute, very quick, a fun play on a normal word game, right? Because you're trying to think of a word related to the two words you have that is not either of them. And there are two moments that are just kind of really brilliant that drive the game. It's, yes, we got it right. And, you know, that kind of perfect unison of things. And then when people get it wrong, it's hysterically funny. 
Yep. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's either going to be, what were you thinking? Or, oh my God, why didn't I think of it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And basically staring at the other people like they've just betrayed you. <laughs> <laughs> you monster. Joe, this is the one we played at PAX. It is. And I think you and I could never connect. No, we were awful at it. <laughs> it was terrible. But like, I'm bad at this game. Like, real off, really awful. <laughs> but like, I think I kept connecting with the guy who was demoing to us. I'm like, I don't yes, know this guy. You and the demo guy were the best friends. You guys were sympathetic of that day. <laughs> he was my, 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 my sibling. I never knew. <laughs> <laughs> but super cute. Like, lots of fun. One thing it really does really well is it takes that time tension and just ratches it all the way up to 100, right? Because mm-hmm. you just have a couple of seconds to think of the word. This is one of those ones that'd be really fun to play with couples because as they fail continuously, they get more and more upset with each other. <laughs> yep. How could you think of that? Yeah, exactly. It seems like this is another one of those dumb, simple ideas that turns out to be a lot of fun in execution. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes, it is. So yeah, Joe, you may get a point on this one for me. Oh, nice. Wow, man. Just throwing them out there. Well, word games tend to be inexpensive. That, that's in a lot very of cases true. is the other advantage. Yeah, except for spell smashers. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. components in that game. You, you definitely yeah, get your mm-hmm. worth at least. Agreed. One last thing I wanted to mention. It's not actually a board game, but it's something that came up recently and was another cute little mixture that I thought was worth mentioning. Is a computer game called Babel Royale, and basically this is Scrabble meets Fortnite. Basically, there is a big old grid and and you have 16 players. Each of them has a handful of letters and you lay down a word and your words can start intersecting with other people. And if you are able to intersect with somebody else's word, you kill them. (laughs) You get like a couple letters. There are spaces on the board that will give you bonus letters or special abilities. And just like in a Battle Royale shooter game, the space is gradually shrinking. So you have to play your words toward the center of the grid and basically last person standing wins. It takes maybe five minutes for a round. It's currently free to play in early access on Steam. And it's just a clever little mix of those two conceits, which works surprisingly well. <laughs> and yeah, sounds more ridiculous than I guess it is. That's so bizarre, though. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And they really lean into it. Like the Steam page is like, somewhere deep in the Siberian wilderness, 26 letters play a deadly game of survival. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, I don't know. It's very silly, but it's cute. It's quick. It's free. It's probably worth looking at. So that's our list. This was pretty much a lightning round of games here. What are people's favorites out of this list? I mean, Spell Smashers is the only one that involves killing, so I'm definitely for that one. Fair enough. I think medium for me. I'm not the biggest fan of like word games in general. I think that one's mm-hmm. kind of meets my criteria for a game that I would enjoy out of this genre. Frank, how about you? I think I might be a knock-on word person. Part of that mm-hmm. is my obsession with crosswords and clever clues. And part of the charm of both knock-on word and montage is you're having to do those lovely little clever crossword-style clues and make them just the right difficulty. And that's a lot more fun than any of this stuff. I'm a big fan of Alcon Word as well, but I would probably go to Balderdash or probably beyond Balderdash from what you're describing. Yeah. I think sounds like the kind of thing I would enjoy. Oh, totally. And yeah, if you haven't played Fibbage, oh, wow, we need to get together a Fibbage game. That game is yeah, so no, good. I'm I'm all down for it. Right. So that is our episode. Hope everybody out there is staying warm, staying safe. And obviously, let us know if there are some favorite word games that we've forgotten or omitted or maybe don't know about, because we always like hearing about new ones. 
And unless anything truly disastrous happens, we will be talking at you again next month. It is snowing in Georgia, so. <laughs> oh, that's true. I know. No apocalypse has come. The skylight's almost completely covered. Ooh. All right. Well, hopefully we'll be back. Wish us luck. <laughs> Stay safe, kids. Stay safe, everybody. Yep. Bye. 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 We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin MacLeod via Incompetech.com. Full details can be found at AscentOfBoardGames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening. Much like many of these games are having a large, dic having a large dictionary of <laughs> words can be very helpful.